This episode contains a frank discussion of sexual violence amongst other topics. Listener discretion is advised. Shakespeare's two long narrative poems, Venus and Adonis and The Rape of Lucrece, stand apart from the main body of Shakespeare's collected works for a number of reasons. They are, as expected, quite long. Venus and Adonis is 1,194 lines long, while Lucrece clocks in at 1,855 lines. They deal exclusively with classical source material, drawing on Livy and Ovid, and the grand histories and mythologies of the ancient world for their subject matter in a very different way than similar topics are approached in his classical plays, like Antony and Cleopatra and Julius Caesar. And while they deal with specific themes that Shakespeare handles elsewhere, nowhere else are they managed with such disturbing emotional heft. Our world has been rocked in recent years with the fallout from the Me Too movement. This is nearly universally understood as a reckoning that was well past its due date. We look to the past as a place and time of barbarism, while extolling our own virtues and holding up our victories against tyranny and oppression as if it could have only happened here, in this place and time, because history is instructive and pedagogical and always bends toward justice. Outrage over sexual assault and sexual engendered violence is only possible today, in the first decades of the 21st century, because we have advanced wisdom, we are enlightened. This perception of the march of progress as linear and, well, progressive, is erroneous, and reading Shakespeare's narrative poems provides more than a little insight into, quote-unquote, the way things were, in a supposedly less progressive time. Both poems deal with sexual aggression, first from goddess of love Venus to young and virile Adonis, second from villainous Tarquin to chaste and naive Lucretia, and the fallout of such acts in fascinating and decidedly nuanced ways. Giving sexual power to a woman over a man as in Venus and Adonis, Shakespeare inverts the sexual power dynamic. Yes, Venus is an immortal goddess and Adonis nothing more than a very young man, but the poem spends so much of its time remarking on the gender of its two participants that it's hard to imagine that this inversion isn't kind of the point. What does it say that a woman might be sexually aggressive? That the man she pursues might reject her advances, strenuously and frequently, or that in the end his agency is entirely stripped away as he is killed, and pieces of him are forced into close contact with Venus's breast for all eternity. Women can be aggressors too. Shakespeare seems to say that. What happens as a result? Lucrece takes the historical story of the establishment of the Roman Republic in 509 BCE and injects considerable life into it. If we divide the poem in two parts, the first uses the thoughts and motivations of the rapist leading up to his assault as the driving force behind the narrative, while the second and considerably longer part deals with the shame, guilt, and other emotional repercussions which all lead Lucretia to the decision to take her own life. The political fallout of these two actions ends a dynasty and establishes an empire. That much is historically true, but what isn't written in the history books are the thoughts of the individuals involved, the way they reconciled what they did and what happened to them, and the emotional fallout of the actions taken. That was Shakespeare's doing, and it makes for a harrowing read. Now, this isn't to say that Shakespeare and his contemporaries would be keyboard warriors filling their Twitter feeds with hashtag calls to action against the patriarchy if they were alive and writing today. Shakespeare still has Lucretia's husband and father talk over her dead body about ownership of said body and the attendant vengeance over her death. But it still flies in the face of the easy conventional wisdom we hold as a society, which asserts our place at the pinnacle of some long and arcing trajectory that doesn't really exist. 
Clearly, for Shakespeare anyway, there was a sense that what Venus did to Adonis was wrong, even if only because it was wrong for a woman to have sexual feelings on par with those of the typical red-blooded male. And in Lucrece, that the wrongdoers of violent acts should be punished, and that society should try to mend its ways. Far from the lyric poetry of the sonnets or the combination of florid and vulgar dialogue of the plays, Shakespeare's narrative poems are unique beasts, concerned above all else with the power of sexuality. Since brevity is the soul of wit, more of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? Speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertainment. And beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Aiden. And we're here to discuss, as you just heard, the uh, two narrative poems Shakespeare wrote, Venus and Adonis, and Lucrece, or The Rape of Lucrece. Yes, The Rape of Lucrece. Let's not shy away from the full It's title, It's interesting that in, in most of the scholarly articles that we read about it, it, it is just shortened to Lucrece, and mm-hmm. we'll probably kind of refer to it as both just for, you know, quickness and ease of... of economy of words which we are not usually known for no. on this podcast but but it is an, an interesting point that that uh, people tend not to use the rape of Lucrece when in fact that's that that should be brought front and center I agree with you Aiden it's true uh, so thank you for that wonderful overview Lindsay oh you're welcome um, I have to say it was uh, I disagree with some parts of it uh, but I I like the overall thrust the the joie de vivre okay i don't think i'm using that properly at all <laughs> i don't think uh, so either. you know I, I i agree with the overall uh, approach okay uh, which is that it is a very interesting uh analysis and representation of power and sexual dynamics mm-hmm. you know up to the modern day mm-hmm. uh it really does resonate in a way that even some of shakespeare's plays that you know everybody talks about as being you know something timeless timeless yeah and can connect with audiences anywhere is also true but uh these poems had a particular way of also Mm. doing that um and especially in this uh kind of more self-aware more steadily improving perhaps hopefully yeah uh, sexual society that we're in uh it, it it was a nice lens to hold up yeah. Uh, in comparison to our own world. So mm-hmm. um, do, do, let, do you want to give a, a brief overview as well of the, the, the plots of each of the plays? Um, you, I mean, you basically summed it up. Uh, the, well, maybe, maybe let me Yeah, let, go let for it. You can, you can summarize. One, so Venus and Adonis is just about Venus spotting Adonis, who's an Adonis. <laughs> uh, but he's, he's portrayed in this as a very young man, perhaps not even a teenager. It's, it's a little... That whole age thing is remarked upon multiple times throughout the text. Um, He's kind of, he's very tender, I think is the word probably most used uh, to describe Adonis. Uh, And so he's this young man, not even a young man. He is a boy still. Yeah. And this goddess of love spots him in this pastoral wonderland of you know, somewhere in Athens, but it's actually, it sounds a lot like uh, England, of course. Does it? Uh, well, there's a lot more green than I think there would be. Well, in, in my head as I'm reading it, that's where I'm placing okay. it. Okay. But uh, 
And so she goes down uh, from on high mm-hmm. and uh, tries to uh, get get in his pants. And he rebuffs her. N- numerous times. Numerous times. Lots of rebuffing going on. But interestingly, I think um, he only has like 80 lines in the, the yeah, 1100 lines of the poem. Much. He yeah. does not speak much. He is not given agency. He is not given a lot of... Venus does most of the talking. Yeah. And and she talks and talks and talks a lot in, yeah. in several different configurations, in different places in this garden pastoral landscape where mm-hmm. they are tumbling around in the grass and Venus is trying to well, she pins him down force herself times, yeah. yes, onto, onto this young man who wants nothing to do with her. And so... The uh, just to wrap up the, yeah. the summary, such as it is, uh, he rejects her, uh, goes off on the hunt, uh, and is speared and killed by a wild boar. Which, of course, Venus totally called uh, the night before when she said, "Don't go after the boar. You can hunt anything else, but not the boar. The boar right. will kill you." Right. And then, of course, kills him. And uh, the 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 final result of this story is that is why love is inconstant and yes. uh, quick to move on because. Uh, love herself has been wounded by her loss of this Adonis. Yes. So, uh, it's um, and then and then in the end, his his body turns into a flower, a flower yeah. that she um, pins close to her breast. Um, this this piece of him that he gets, he, so she gets to carry a piece of him wherever with her goes. wherever she yes, goes. Of course, yes, in memory of him. Yeah. So yeah, Venus and Adonis written in, or published anyway, around um, 1593. Uh, it was probably his first publication, the yep. first thing that he ever published. Um, or, yes. Yeah. It was dedicated to the Earl of Southampton, Southampton. Henry Wesley, um, Risley? Wrigley. Yeah, that's what I want to. I think of (laughs) gum every time I. (laughs) Wrigley. That's acceptable. Uh, Henry Wesley. And uh, and it's written in a Sesta Rima, I believe is what it's the the rhyme scheme. Uh, Quatrain followed by a couplet. So A, B, A, B, C, Z. Six lines to a a stanza. Um, A form used by other popular poets of the time Mm -hmm. Edmund Spencer, Thomas Lodge. It is. Written in iambic pentameter, yep. as Shakespeare is Often so yep. yeah, uh, wrote in 199 stanzas of 1194 lines. So, and you mentioned uh, early publication. It was also hugely successful. Yes, uh, it was reprinted a number of times. I can't remember that number, of course, because yeah. memory sucks. But it's it, in Shakespeare's lifetime. Yeah. It was probably his most widely known. Yeah, he work. was, and this is this is something that we should really underscore here because. You know, everybody looks at Shakespeare as a dramatist today, but he was primarily in his lifetime a poet. Playwriting was like the side the side hustle that allowed him to live in London and and write generally as a as a a, a writer a, at a, all. a career, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah. But poetry was what everybody strove to do. It's what it's what if you were a writer of any sort of grandeur, it was because you wrote poetry. Yeah. And Shakespeare was actually we'll get to this. A phenomenal poet. This mm-hmm. is this is beyond anything that I think. Th- we should say also that this is the first time either of us has ever read either, either of, of these narrative poems. Yeah. So, um, yeah, quite quite astonishing. He wrote it for the Earl of Southampton. There was a nice dedication in the front, and he hints that there is weightier um, yes. stuff to come. The Rape of Lucrece is written a year later. Sorry, is published a year later in 1594. Um, and it is, again, another narrative poem. It 
deals with historical subject matter, the end of the Tarquin um, dynasty, dynasty the, yeah. the regal dynasty of Rome, and the establishment of the Roman Empire, which then... Well, the Republic. The Republic, sorry, the Empire, yes, which yes. became the Empire yeah. that we're all familiar with. Um, and this is uh, a, a much longer poem, and it deals with much heavier, but... Well, as Shakespeare wrote, it was a graver labor. Yes. It, it's it's But it's very similar in subject matter to Venus and Adonis in the sense that it does deal with non-consensual sexual contact yeah. between a man and a woman. Although in this case, it's the, it's the far more stereotypical, you know, man comes in, rapes a woman, and then mm. she's left to deal with the fallout. So in this story, there's um, uh, Lucretia's husband, Colatine, Colatinus. Colatinus, I think, yep. Um, is off fighting in a war. His friend Tarquin is the prince, I guess, or yep. next in line for the throne, and he comes to visit Lucretia after hearing how beautiful she is. He he wants to be around her while her husband is still gone. So she puts him up because she's a good hostess. She's very naive and trusting. And in the course of that one night that he spends in their home, he gets it in his mind that he has to possess her. He has to have her. Um, it, it, there's just nothing for it that he he can't not possess her and he debates this with himself over and the, over again yeah the start of the first like quarter of the poem is essentially just him saying well but if i do this everyone will remember me as a rapist but he's but then he just kind of backtracks he's like yeah but i really want her and yeah. so i'm just gonna do it and yeah. then yeah and he and he does and he does and and there there are some interesting it, it it's it it's, it's hard to be in the mind of a rapist, but it is interesting to see how he justifies these things to himself. And some of the arguments that he makes against the act before he's actually committed it are things that we would be familiar with today. It's it's like, you know, why would I, I I'm going to, I'm paraphrasing this, but why would I, you know, um, like do this, do this one grave, horrible thing for five minutes of pleasure. Yeah. And then suffer a lifetime of guilt afterwards. It's like, you know, the little things that we do that we're like, it makes our life better in the short term, but in the long term, we're going to feel worse about it, right? So there's a little bit of relatability there, especially as he's debating with himself about what he's going to do. But in the end, he decides he's going to do it. And um, and he, he cooks up this whole story to her as he creeps into her bedchamber and there's this horrible scene of him like you know breaking through the locks to yeah, her bedroom and it's not creaking and because you know all along the way there are all these things that could have stopped him but they don't so he kind of takes that as a sign that he should keep going yeah. um but then he says if you don't if you don't put up with this if you don't do this i'll murder you and then i'll murder a slave uh, uh, another servant in your household and i'll put him in the bed with you and, and then your lasting infamy will be as this harlot who cheated on her husband and with a slave with a, yeah. with a servant and oh yeah. my gosh so she basically is 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 screwed no matter what she does um and he violently rapes her and then promptly leaves he he's so ashamed and so overtaken by guilt that he leaves we don't hear from him again and the whole rest of the poem um deals with with lucrece and her her fallout the emotional heft of what she does she cries a lot she talks to her servants um she spends quite a long time staring at a a painting of the sack of troy the fall of troy um debating with herself what what that means and then finally resolves to write to her husband and have him come home so that she can explain to him what happened 
she does this and then kills herself. And then her father and her her father's there for yeah, her father some and, and reason to see husband return. Yeah, they're both at the same war, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um they spend a few stanzas talking yeah. <laughs> talking about who is the true inheritor of the vengeance and the grief because who owns is it is it Colatine's wife or is Lucrece uh, her father's daughter and yeah. who deserves to be and it's it's finally a, a third party outsider who comes in and says you know this is this it's is Rome's this. shame yeah, this okay. is this is Rome's shame yeah. and you need to do this and they carry her body through Rome uh, the Tarquins are banished and the establishment of the Republic uh, takes over which is by all accounts more or less historically accurate yeah. this is what actually happened and that's where the play or sorry that's where the the poem ends villain i have done thy mother um so yes this poem is slightly different it is 265 stanzas 1855 lines still an iambic pentameter yep but um a different scheme. but a different rhyme scheme the rhyme royal scheme which was used by chaucer, chaucer. milton um the also yeah uh it's a B A B B C C yeah. is the the rhyme scheme, and I find it actually a lot nicer to read than the Venus and Adonis yeah, rhyme scheme. It was easier to read. The rhyme absolutely. royal, it just it feels like it trips off the tongue, and it actually it's it's something that's more common. I've read far more poems that have the rhyme royal scheme um, than than the uh, and despite being a little more st- yeah, know, yeah whatever it was called yeah, yeah. And it, despite being more structured it, it actually yeah it just feels more free-flowing it feels yeah. like it still has uh, it still gives Shakespeare at least the ability to express a, a wider range of of sentence structures even mm-hmm. uh, it was you know the the extra lines the longer stanzas mm-hmm. allowed him to you know, compartmentalize an entire thought within a stanza yeah. to really great effect. Whereas in Venus Adonis, there was it was still that, but it was almost it was it was shorter stanzas. They were a little tighter. You could see him perhaps cramming in a lot of imagery into a single stanza, which is you know in some cases impressive, but other kinds it other times it takes away from the emotional heft of reading because you're you're kind of working your way through the the thicker imagery. Yeah. Can we read a stanza from each to yeah, to kind that. of get a sense for how it actually rolls off off the tongue? So I'll read uh, a kind of, in my mind, a typical stanza from sure. Venus and Adonis. So uh, at this point, Adonis has got him or has been pinned down by Venus. So look how a bird lies tangled in a net, so fastened in her arms. Adonis lies, pure shame and odd resistance made him fret, which bred more beauty in his angry eyes. Rain added to a river that is rank. Perforce will force it overflow the bank. Okay. So as you can see, it's it's it is it's quick and it's forced. But it, you know, this is like him responding to uh, Venus's advances. Um, and there's a lot of you know, there's color imagery. There's a lot of that in, in both poems. Um, there's him becoming a bird. Uh, there's uh, something about a, a river overflowing its banks. Like there, there is quite a bit of, of uh, intense imagery in this that that uh, that's all revolving around this one central point. Mm-hmm. Linz, you you wanted to read from uh, Lucrece. Lucrece. Yes. So this is the the line uh, stanza from um, Lucrece uh, the morning after the the attack, and she is looking at this painting hanging on the wall of um, the the fall of Troy. 
At last she calls to mind where hangs a piece of skillful painting made for Priam's Troy, before the witches drawn the power of Greece for Helen's rape the city to destroy, threatening cloud-kissing Ilion with annoy, which the conceited painter drew so proud as heaven, it seemed, to kiss the turrets bowed. Um, so, yeah, again, it's mm-hmm. just it just feels very... Uh, it flows so nicely. I mean, I am a contaminator does that anyway, but I just feel like this rhyme royal scheme... Um, it, there's this nice through line. There's yeah. so many lines that rhyme, and it actually helped me to. Um, it's it's one of those times where because the rhyme scheme is so um, necessary, it's it's so structured. The um, the original pronunciation, the yes. the Middle English or or early modern English pronunciation really comes to the fore. Yeah. Um, there, can, there were quite a few rhymes where yeah. it didn't actually make sense to a modern A modern but you can look back that, and you're yeah. like, oh that must be how yeah. they pronounced this word. Yes. And now it makes sense. Which yeah. is which is kind of cool because that's something that you're dimly aware of when you're reading the plays, but but when you're reading something that's so structured it, it really comes to the fore. Yeah. So if you prick us, do we not bleed? So what were your initial thoughts on Venus and Adonis, Lindsay? I mean, it's, it's, it's a very fluffy poem, I would say. It, it, yeah. Like, like you, you mentioned, uh, you know, this is the, the less weighty yeah. thing. It's a very soft kind of flowy, even, even uh, Venus's rougher sexual advances, mm-hmm. advantages are kind of phrased in a, uh, in a comedic way. Almost. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's either comedic or just like, Kind of, kind of goofy. Yeah, you know, it's not supposed to be taken too seriously, even though she's a god. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that kind of, I mean, when I was reading it, it did remind me a lot of like a Pepe Le Pew cartoon or yeah, something, a like bit, yeah. where it's just kind of ridiculous and over the top, and it's not really, um, none of it is meant to be taken seriously. Um, I did, I struggled with it. I didn't like it as much as, yeah. which is weird because Lucrece is so so much more awful to read, but it. It was easier to read, yeah. and I, I enjoyed the experience of it more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Venus and Adonis, you know, it it's it's definitely there are some amazingly beautiful description descriptive passages mm-hmm. that describe what things look like, that describe the animals that are present, that describe um, the the color symbolism, the whites and the reds, and the purities and virtues and love and lust and everything yes. being contrasted with that. Yeah. Um, and I did think it was interesting to have the, um, the sexual aggressor be a woman because that isn't something that is typical and it's not typical in Shakespeare's no. play. I mean, occasionally there is a woman who pursues a man yes. within the plays. Or it's it's a kind of a quote-unquote gender-bending yes. farce yes. where it's, it's because you know, the dramatic irony yes. yeah. lets the audience in on the joke and, and we laugh at it. Yeah. This, I don't know that we're meant to be laughing at it. I think it's meant to be some kind of. I, I mean, it's it's an instruction. It's an instructional piece that yeah. that that tells us maybe not instructional, but but it explains why love is the way it is. So yeah. it's kind of um, informational text, right? Yeah. But it's done in kind of a, a fun way that that you know. But but I think in doing that, in in turning the genders around and having a female be the pursuer. Um, it does make it made me question or I could imagine myself questioning as an Elizabethan or Shakespearean 
era reader um, the morality of of sexual aggression yeah. in any case. Right. Really? Yeah. Like I, I kind of saw that as being I don't know if that was the point. I, I doubt that that was the point. I think hmm. if there if if the reason that Shakespeare chose to have a woman be the the aggressor was to a because the goddess of love is a woman. So she has to be. But but also just to to make it fun, to make it funny, maybe. Yeah. And not so, yeah. to not to draw attention to the fact that you shouldn't be raping people. <laughs> I think that's far more prevalent in, in the rape of Lucrece. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it just it did make me think that well, why would we accept this behavior from anybody? Really? Although although it's <laughs> although it's 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 still a god and a and a human. So yeah. the the immortal mortal divide is not dynamic really, is a little odd there yeah. too. See, I I thought it was it was far more subversive and yet reaffirming of gender roles yeah and and elizabethan morality in terms of is that what you were going to disagree with about my Uh, my... no the biggest we'll get back to that one soon because that one i think is an interesting point that you've kind of glossed over but um i i found this one because it it treats it as a a it's kind of an abnormality yeah um and B, it's the the gender reversal is abnormality. Yeah, like the the idea that a woman would desire a man Mm -hmm. to the point of forcing herself on him Mm -hmm. uh, is is kind of played again as as you said, kind of for laughs. But it's it's more the uh, it's more just the act of putting on the page uh, female desire okay, in, in a yeah. strong form. Yeah. You know, that was just, it was not done. No. And as we've just said, it was yeah. not done in, in many of Shakespeare's other It wasn't uh, really plays. even done until, it widespread until the... Now? <laughs> well, yeah, like like the, you, you had, you know, uh, Lady Chatterley's lover, D. Yeah, Florence yeah, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. early 20th century. century yeah, exactly. There were a few instances throughout where, where it was mentioned, but never to this kind of aggressive um, yeah, and and extent. almost and it's it almost normalizes it in an extent because mm. I mean it relies heavily on the fact that she is the god of love. Um, you know, there's that great line that we'll talk about it where she is love, she loves, but yes. she is not loved. Yes, uh, you know that that is a great summary of the poem. Um, but by moving beyond that and applying it into just gendered uh, roles in the Elizabethan period. Uh, is very subversive in my yeah. mind. The fact that that she was allowed to be a figure and that people snapped this book up, this poem, this little you know eleven hundred yes. line poem was incredibly popular. Right. I think is is actually indicative of the fact that this was this was something that maybe was not being written about very much, and people probably didn't want to talk about it. But there was a queen on the throne mm. who's was defined by her sexuality, yeah. in particular her asexuality, the virgin as, queen. Yeah, the virgin queen, right? But I, I think that it's just it's an interesting uh, twist on on uh, most of our expectations around uh, how sexuality as, and female sexuality, in particular, was viewed right up until you know the modern day as. You know, women don't want sex. They are the pursuers. They are never right. pursuing, or they're the, they're they're the pursued, ones being pe- pursued. pursued. Yes. yes. So, you know, like I, th- I, it's it's just interesting because when you when you contrast it to the rape of Lucrece, which is very almost head-on direct with the ramifications of 
your typical male sexuality, it's it's negative in yes, that, in the secondary yes. poem. The first one, it's overall kind of positive. Adonis is an idiot. He doesn't listen to a goddess, goes on his hunt and dies, uh, and she is she is the she is the smart one. She's mm. the correct one. Her her want and desire is. Uh, want and desire. Sorry, yeah, it's not, not want and desire. desire. <laughs> uh, her her desires are portrayed as natural. It's in this pastoral, you know, uh, blissful state that we find them. Uh, her nothing could be more natural than her wanting to sleep with someone that she finds attractive, and that that alone is just like a, a crazy thought compared to everything else that you will ever read in any situation up to this point. Um, and the fact that it's portrayed as such is, is really important. That's 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 my point. I just Sorry. think that it's and and this is kind of backtracking on my own point that I made in in the the opening, um, my little mini essay. Yep. Um, but she is a goddess, and those mm-hmm. those aren't gods and goddesses aren't really male or female or I mean they are in a sense and in this sense very much fine. But but I don't think they're understood as as stand-ins for mortal men and women and males and females and i think that's something that that it's easy to gloss over in this day and age because we look at you know this is as a mythological story that has mythological origins and and you don't think shakespeare was treating as a mythological yes i do but but i also think that that there's what am i trying to say (laughs) that it's i don't think it's I don't think he's using, if he wanted to portray female sexuality as something that was, like if he wanted to normalize it, I don't think he would use a goddess to do it. I think he would put it in in the mouth of a merry wife of Windsor, or he'd put it in the mouth of um, Viola, or he'd put it in the mouth of Portia. Well, you know, he would he do. Does. Occasionally, he does, and that's that's yeah. a much stronger argument for normalizing female sexuality. I don't think that he was making the argument that women should be um, totally free with their sexuality. I think, I think it's just, um, I, I think we also need to look at this in with Lucrece as a pair of poems because they were written explicitly we are told yeah. that they were written to be Companions, kind of yeah. companion pieces so lovers if so you will. <laughs> yeah. so to know that Lucrece takes the themes of Venus and Adonis to that next level means that it was already there at the beginning i think it was it's played with i think it's there's he's having fun with it um and i think it is important that it is a female goddess pursuing a a young male but i think it's equally important that he resists that he rejects that he Mm -hmm. says i don't want to do this and yet she still pursues and doesn't see the harm in that and then we get this companion piece where he pursues he assaults she rejects and and then has to deal with the fallout of that which adonis never gets to do well and that's and that's the big point that i did disagree with you about is that there is no negative Venus does not rape Adonis. She no. she pushes herself on him absolutely. It's, it, but it it's is super still sexual worthy. aggression. It is absolutely sexual aggression. But there is no rape. There is no he he does not face the consequences of rejecting no, advances but, the way Lucrece does. Well. But there is that very interesting point in Venus and Adonis where Venus says, "If only I had a boar's tusk to pierce you in the groin." 
If only I had a boar's tusk. And then later he is pierced by a boar's tusk yeah, and, and killed. Died. Yeah. But of course. But that phallic imagery, she's like, if only I had the equipment to yeah. rape you, I would rape you right now. Yeah. Is what she's get is what she's saying. But she, she doesn't, doesn't. She, but doesn't, she doesn't, doesn't, but it's because she's a woman and she doesn't exactly. have that ability. Okay, so 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 she can't as a woman she can't rape is what is what is happening. Yeah. He still faces repercussions for not listening to her, but I don't see her looking at driving him away as something that she could have stopped. If she had just backed off, maybe he wouldn't have run off and, and gone to his hunt. Maybe he would have hunted earlier and gotten it out of his system but, and but wouldn't have died. That, that, that's my exact point is that, no, he was always going to go on that hunt. He's, that's what he tells her. He's like, no, I want to go hunt. That's what yes, I'm going to do tomorrow yes. as I'm hunting. So he was going to die tomorrow no matter what. He was going to well, find gonna, that boar he, uh, and he was going to be killed. My point is his will is exerted. That That's really what rape is always kind of about, right? It's enforcing one person's will over another person. That's what power is. That's what all power yes, dynamics are. Yes. And in and in both case, in both poems, the male's will is exerted over the females, and I think that's interesting because they, it, the power, the the gender dynamics of that situation are not actually subverted, even when in this poem where I've but just she extolled pulls about him how, off and, and and holds him down and doesn't let him go. But then she, she does. She's a goddess. She could have held him down forever and forced him eventually to. Yeah, but it's not because he overpowered her, so it, he doesn't have power over yes, her. Okay. Per, okay, I can so see the gray So the power dynamic there. is I, not the same. It, it is not exactly the same. No, but it, in both poems, it is still the male uh, desire that succeeds. Not necessarily the sexual desire, but the male okay. character's desire is what triumphs. And, Fine. And I'm just saying that is an interesting thing because of that subversion of saying here's here's a here's a shining example of female sexuality look at it look at her run through the fields of holly da, 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 da. fields of holly i don't Do know, you know I, don't, I have no is? idea what holly is i'm imagining that would be very painful very but, painful <laughs> so uh but she you know there's that imagery of a positive female sexual role and then nothing good comes of it but in the end, she there's, because of the man. That's that's my point. You know. No, I think I think the, all of the acting, all of the Adonis is acted upon. He has eighty lines of dialogue. He's he's in eleven hundred lines. She does all the talking. She does she all does the holding. All the talking. And and when she does let him go, and she lets him go twice, and then comes back to him. One of those two times. Well, and the second time she the does The second time she done. does, and yeah. then she takes him when he literally has no ability to protest. And then he he is put on her breast for the rest of, you know, like there's yeah. there's a certain element of silencing there, which is very much like Philomel, which is very much like Lucrece um, being gagged with her nightgown in, in it, Rape of Lucrece. It's, it's, it's very much like very true. Titus Andronicus. Yeah. Um, that, where the, the one who is pursued, the one who is not... Uh, given agency literally has their ability has their agency taken away forcefully and, and in this case I, he is killed not by, by Venus, his own by his own doing by, by his, his own desire own to desire. go hunting sure yeah. but it's not it's that is like a i feel like that's a secondary thing that's just him wanting <laughs> not to have sex with her is not what kills him yes him it is wanting to hunt <laughs> Is what kills him. Okay, yeah, okay. And so sure. it's 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 a secondary thing. It's just she keeps pushing him away from what he wants to do, and what he wants to do ends up killing him. But that doesn't mean that he is to blame for his death or 
you well, know, yeah, I, he is because she explicitly says, I'm a god. I can tell you. I know the boar is going to kill you tomorrow. And he's like, no, I'm going to go hunt the boar. Like, literally, he does lead. He's he is another character ignoring the Cassandras of the world. Okay, but but it also sounds Which, a little bit like victim blaming is all I'm saying. <laughs> is all I'm getting I don't think here. he's a victim. I mean, he kind of is. She, she's pretty aggressive with him. But... And I think I, that's I, the point. I, yeah. The point is that sure. she is aggressive. Yes. The goddess of love but, aggressively pursues a young yes. man. A young a man. A he's, boy. He's a boy. He's not and even... And she is yeah. a goddess. She is immortal. Yeah. And she, has, she is powerful enough to hold him down and not let him go. I just think it's hard to look at that and not, not draw see, parallels yeah. oh, for sure. when you put it next to Lucrece. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it's it, that's what makes these poems such amazing companions to each other because there are these parallels, but the outcomes are very different. And the, the I mean, in both cases, I guess, the, the sexual defender uh, <laughs> winds up dying in both. But, you know, it, it, I'm just saying when you add in the other gender dynamics of... Venus in the Elizabethan time period, it's it's a much more interesting play that way to, to or play, falling poem. back on it. It's a much more interesting poem that way uh, because it, it does have a, a certain subversion of of expectation and uh, acceptability for for her as a sexual aggressor and Adonis as uh, a man who. Isn't interested in sex. Well, who's not interested in sex and also is is ignorant of uh you know uh his best interests i would say so his best interest is to is to let the goddess no, of no, love no no i'm just saying like when she says you go okay yeah you're right it I, does I, sound I, a I lot just, like it just it just it just does, it doesn't sit well with me but okay, let's move on enough. to to the rape of lucrece which okay. is i think a much more meteor poem yeah, um yeah. uh so yeah what were your thoughts going oh. into it or reading it yeah, it was. It just it felt really real mm. uh, to this day. There's just I most of my notes were just about like <laughs> like the way that Tarquin forces her, mm-hmm. uh, you know, threatening her her shame mm-hmm. uh, in death, even mm-hmm. you know, like literally leaving her no choice. Um, you know, it's it's just a it's a very real depiction of the extent that you know someone would go to to have that five minutes of joy uh you know knowing that it's and the the biggest problem with me and it's also one of the greatest things about this uh the portrayal of tarquin himself is that uh lucrece doesn't actually enter into any of his calculations no all the all his concerns about what will happen after he rapes her are about him exactly how will i feel what will my reputation be? exactly it is it is literally she is she is literally an object Mm -hmm. to him and nothing else and Mm -hmm. that i mean that can be a a, it's kind of a state of a lot of shakespeare's treatment of women sometimes Mm -hmm. um as property as chattel as whatever um but as pure objects obviously um but then it subverts all that by going straight into her head afterwards and 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 depicting what it's like to be a victim of that objectification. Well, then in also, extreme. in the end, returning her back to the object. Yes. Which the object in this case sets about the, um, the establishment of a more equitable and fair Roman Republic, mm-hmm. but an object nonetheless. Yeah. Um, I think what struck me was the the parallels to the um, the power dynamics. I think which are not discussed 
or they're starting to be discussed more now, but that for a very long time, rape was was considered um, a crime of passion and and had to do with with lust and which absolutely Tarquin is consumed with lust for Lucrece, but the the parallel um, between the political power power play that happens at the end to remove the Tarquins from power and the the sexual power play that goes on in Lucrece's bedchamber the night before um, it's impossible to ignore and I think that's that's something very mature I hate to use that word because because I think that this was something that people understood back then, yeah, that, back then yeah. and it's probably because um, because the the people being raped were seen as property, and so raping property yeah. is a is a power grab. It's yeah. a it's a it's a power move. It's yeah. saying your property is my property now, yeah. right? Um, so maybe the people of Shakespeare's day had a different understanding of sexual violence. They certainly don't see it the way we do. Um, in terms of, like, well, I, maybe they do because we have a, a portrait of of a woman who is, if had she not committed suicide, would have faced what we would know of yeah. today as post traumatic stress disorder yeah. and and other kinds of mental disorders well, and, and, and and the societal emotional. impacts of yes. of being a rape victim, yes. you know. So so that I think is is interesting to see. It's why I wrote my essay the way I did was because maybe they did have that kind of understanding but but to talk about just the power play of it that's something that has come up again in the court cases that we've seen mm-hmm. harvey weinstein uh jeffrey epstein Gian a Gomeshi, lot of these yeah yeah Gomeshi, <laughs> where it was power it was having power over another human being and even today, Giangomeshi is a great example because he was touted for years as the the pinnacle of the modern male who yeah. was very sensitive and um, a a fe- and, yeah. a, definitely a feminist who who championed women, but then behind the scenes was engaging in in these horrible activities that stripped power from the women that he was with. Yeah. Um, and we should mention that he was acquitted of those yes. those crimes, but I have no doubt that that the things that were committed were that he's been accused of were actually done, um, because it fits patterns. We yeah. have a whole pat. We we could talk about young Amish until the cows come home. We won't, but but I mean, I think that that is is really interesting that we have a poem that five hundred years ago. 400 years ago is dealing with the same kind of power dynamic and power struggle and and casting rape as a a power struggle Mm -hmm. which which says to me that that they saw it differently but also it's interesting that shakespeare then gives us lucrece's mindset which is i don't know of any other writer male writer i i'm struggling to come up with with a male writer i i can't i mean (laughs) afro ben later on has some moments i think i think you get some some interior you know jane austen talks about women's needs and wants and desires but but sylvia plath um 
you know, if if we start getting into the 20th century is where you start seeing women being written with this kind of dimension and this kind of depth. Shakespeare's doing that 400 years ago. A male writer writing a Le- woman. Yeah, and, and but, I mean, it's still, it, and we talked about this uh, right after I finished reading it, uh, Lindsay, was that uh, it's still a very abstracted, poetic interpretation of of uh, uh let's just say a female mind because right. it's it's um you know she at one point she laments the three things that caused this to happen and it yeah. was not tarquin tarquin and tarquin it yeah. was uh opportunity yeah time and the night or darkness or something yes. like that right uh and she blames those in in long poetic yeah uh diatribes and it's it's like well Yes, that's that's probably what it was. Uh, like that, that's how someone might view it, especially even to this day. You know, yes. they'll look for external reasons why this bad yes. things happened to them. Absolutely. Um, and but it, it's but it's not really like a. It's not going into the depths of her thinking. Well, I guess in a way it does. You it know? does. Yeah. I think it does, and yeah. I think that it it um the where where the poem slips up is not so much with her thinking because I think that is very true to form. I I don't know I haven't had conversations with any rape survivors who express that but like personally one-on-one but I've read that where mm-hmm. women say oh if only I hadn't done this if only I... it seems like that's what Lucas yeah. is doing when she says it was opportunity the nighttime like yeah you know those were things that she's she's trying to externalize what happened as yeah. you said and can't quite get to Tarquin, although she does blame him for what he did to her. Yes. And she does, and she want, does want him, him to, be, to be punished. Yeah, punished. So that's why she tells her husband and father what happened. Yeah. But where the poem does slip into outdated notions, what we would consider yeah, outdated yeah. notions, are in the the moments where uh, Lucrece is crying and crying and crying and and the the narrator says that men are made of steel and women are made of yeah, wax and yeah. there's a there's some metaphors that go on about how women are just you know soft we're and, soft yeah. and and that's why we cry so much but men would never cry <laughs> but then i guess we get like the flip side of that is that is that wonderful section where lucrece is looking at the painting of troy and she remarks upon how the painter depicted Achilles and Priam and Hector and Ajax and all these these male figures who are just you know they're like Conan the Barbarian barbarian, um, glistening muscles and Mm -hmm. rippling abs and whatnot but then you have Hecuba who's wailing over her husband's death and you think initially that it's going that this is going to be a metaphor about Helen and the rape of Troy and, mm-hmm. and that. But no, she focuses on Hecuba and she focuses on this older woman who is painted in a very different way. And it's almost like Shakespeare is calling our attention to that yeah. too. Yeah. To say, there's this other story that hasn't been told. It hasn't been depicted. This is what I'm trying to do is depict this yeah. properly. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Which which seems like a very modern yeah to my mind like it's it it fits in with a modern interpret i'm not like i said i'm not saying that he would be you know <laughs> marching in the streets you know no, gloria the, steinem style uh, but <laughs> but there's a certain you know just just basic level of empathy there yeah. that, that he's that he's done uh, superbly with that, that yeah. you know other writers 
have never, <laughs> you know, even other really good writers yeah. do not approach. No, uh, well, how many of them alone. write women characters? Yeah. Both of these poems have significant sections from the mind yeah. and mouths of a woman. Yeah. Whether it's a goddess or a, a you know, general's wife, mm-hmm. it's her point of view. And yeah. it's done, I mean, I wish we'd read this before we did our Women of Shakespeare episode because yeah. it really does reinforce what we said that there's something very special about the way Shakespeare wrote women and I can't put my finger on what that is yet still ever but there is something very unique about it maybe that's why people thought that Elizabeth the first was is actually the yeah. writer of Shakespeare yeah. the Shakespearean canon yeah. because how can a man get this so right well, did Shakespeare just, know somebody who was sexually I, assaulted I and and yeah. and and this is what he's trying to depict or you know like or is he just that damn good at imagining what it's like at having empathy with another human being yeah. and going through something that he maybe never went through? Or did he go through it himself? I mean, who knows? Yeah. Right? We could speculate all day. It's just very, very noteworthy. Incredibly noteworthy. It is. Just to reiterate what you just said, Lindsay, mm-hmm. because there was, it was just another moment in this poem that just really blew me away, mm-hmm. which is... Um, the, the moment when her servant first enters her room after right. she's been crying all night. Yes. And she assumes that, of course, her servant's going to walk in and say, oh, my God, you were raped. Yes. What, what's going I can on? see she, it all over your face. And and just to have that that sense of, like, having that interior shame. There is no physical evidence. He didn't he didn't cut her. No. He didn't strangle strangulate her or anything like that. There's no physical mark whatsoever. It is all internal. Yeah. And yet she assumes that everybody will be able to see because yeah. it's become so it's become a part of who she is now right. that it's just like her face it's yeah. just like every other part of her yeah. and instead the servant walks in and is like oh you look like you've been crying and up all night are you okay and it's like yeah. there, there's none no the there's, yeah none the wiser and it was just it was that that's something I've always you know I think I think we've even seen in like TV shows that have depicted rape where that's kind of the the thing is that they mm-hmm. just look a little off, a little off. You know, a rape victim might look just like, well, I'm not doing great. You know, mm-hmm. and that's a story that also comes up from survivors all the time. Is like, well, I just wanted to get on with my life. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to because I didn't want anybody to be able to see it yeah. on me yeah. anymore. Yeah. And to again have that in in the 16th century is is kind of crazy yeah. to think about. Even though it at the end when she's bleeding out over the floor, there's a sense that the blood that Tarquin touched is black and the rest yeah. of the blood the pure blood that's still hers yeah. is red there's, yeah, there's still some more there <laughs> is some some weird yeah. um symbolism going on there that that is uh smacks of using leeches to cure yeah. well that you was know, the, the humors the time, yeah. and whatnot and balance your humors it's it yeah. was the thinking at the time so i okay we'll we'll allow <laughs> we'll it but one. um but yeah it is it's just it's a remarkable depiction of sexual assault which is a horrible thing to say, and I can't believe I just said it, but <laughs> but, but it, it is, is somehow, it really yeah. is. It's just it's so powerful and and moving and horrible, and it was written so long ago. It's almost like you don't think that sexual assault happened before our time, which is weird. Mm-hmm. But to to read about it and to see like this is no different than any number of sexual assaults that are happening right now like they're happening right now as we're recording this podcast as you're listening to this podcast and they're no different and that's what's even more horrific about it is that how much how little has changed Mm -hmm. um it just it 
it it makes Shakespeare's writing so much more visceral. I think um, to to see that it's it it just speaks to the maybe the universality of it or of his writing ability or something. To be or not to be. That is the question. And speaking of writing ability, you wanted to talk about I the did. language in these poems. Well, and just, just the, everything. I mean, so we touched on it briefly uh, at the top of the podcast, but um, so Shakespeare being known as a poet in his lifetime and a dramatist second, it was only after the first folio was published in 1623 that that his legend as a dramatist eclipsed that of his um, his poet. Poet. Credentials, I guess. Credentials, yeah. 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 Um, so, and that, that is a crying shame because these are two of the most stunningly visual, um, well-written, powerful, moving pieces of, of poetry, of, of literature that I think I've ever read. Yeah. And I'm not... I don't read a lot, <laughs> and I've been reading a lot of Shakespeare. Um, but, but I mean, but, this rivals, yeah. you know, I I just, the the line that Aiden brought up already about about Venus, where in Venus and Adonis, where she said, where the, the narrator says that she was love, she loves, but she is not loved. One line sums up, Everything. Yeah, that's the whole everything. Oh, there's there's this economy of language that is present through all of Shakespeare, but is is in such fine form here. Um, the the language that's used to describe the painting in in Lucrece or um, the vividness of the actual rape scene. Yeah, um, despite being in this archaic language, you know exactly yeah, what's happening. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and it just I just. It, and to think that this was written in, and published in the early 1590s, mm-hmm. right? At the same time that Shakespeare is writing and Comedy performing of Comedy of Errors or uh, <laughs> Two Gentlemen of Verona, yeah. which are clunky and, and have odd moments of, of weird pacing and d- the dialogue doesn't always work. There are moments of brilliance, but to have 1,100 lines and 1,800 lines like 3,000 lines, 4,000 lines of... 3,000 lines? Yeah, 3,000. I can do math. Yeah. 3,000 lines of, like that's one of po- poetry. That's one play. And not one line. Very, well, okay, maybe a few lines, but, <laughs> but very, very, very few moments where you're like, why was this written? Yeah. Everything is, is to a purpose and to a point that is, um, is very... They're, they're, yeah, it's just very well written. I just can't. I it just blew me away. I'm like, why do people not talk about Shakespeare as a poet? Yeah. Why are these poems not taught in high schools? Yeah. And yeah, because well, the sonnets are bite sized, and you can see why. And but sure, but yeah, and the absolutely. sonnets are great, and and I think the sonnets are are a total. We will do an episode on the sonnets because yeah, the sonnets are wonderful, and they're you're right. They're bite sized. They tell different stories. Read them all together. Read them in cycles. Um, in the, the read them one at a time. Who that cares? they're yeah. meant to be read in, quote unquote you get something from that too but these poems speak to something speak to the um the greatness of shakespeare as a writer that yeah. you don't see in the in the plays 
until so much later Hamlet until Macbeth, Macbeth yeah the later right? the Tempest and where and these... the where the language of the plays finally catches up to the language of his poetry yeah it's like 20 years later when he's doing the same shit in his plays that he's doing here yeah which is yeah. astonishing which is crazy and we know him for his plays yeah like maybe it's because he only wrote two well, yeah. plus the the one about the turtle that is yeah, not really I forgot a, about that. Yeah. <laughs> but like it's it's uh, maybe there were more that I don't I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe he didn't publish more because I don't know. Maybe he grew to enjoy playwriting more as as time yeah. went on. Or I mean, he was making a lot more money probably as well, a playwright yeah, at the end. And, and you know, yeah. he had the family to think of, and he, you know, he was able to you know transform a lot of the the plays into really poetic mm-hmm. devices like yeah. the, the Hamlet. So of the to world, do right? that to be able to put that into something that actually makes money is the dream for all writers. Yeah. And he did that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so great good for him. Yeah. But I <laughs> a mean bitter, but <laughs> yeah just a little. But uh yeah to read these poems it's just am I being too laudatory? No, no, I I agree. Like and I was really caught off guard by that because right? um, I mean Venus and Adonis has some some like I mentioned, it's it's just a little clunkier still at times. I think that structure really did impinge on his ability to, uh, you know, really control and and shape those those sentences and those those the ideas way the way that, that they do that he just does better in mm-hmm. in Lucrece. So, um, but but absolutely, I think especially yeah in Lucrece, and it, it's I think in some respects it's the combination of of that amazing ability to dive into her head into yes. uh Tarquin's head uh to even even the dialogue and actually that's that's one of the things that that kind of bothered me about the poems is that there's still a lot of dialogue I'm like yeah. he's still kind of a uh, playwright here like yeah. Venus goes on and on and trying to coax uh, Adonis uh you have uh, Lucrece does a lot of talking yeah a lot, of talking. Does a lot of talking there's there's actually not much description of events but when they do happen they're very uh, memorable and, and you know they hit hard right mm-hmm. so yeah I mean but but absolutely on the whole this is by far some of the best uh, Shakespearean writing that that exists and I was I was similarly blown away yeah especially considering the time when it was yeah published yeah which is yeah, yeah I mean like honestly like blown. if if I was a play if I was owned a playhouse mm-hmm. and I saw this guy and I knew he was a a playwright as well I'd be like yeah let's get this guy to write yeah, my plays right, going right. ahead because and then he'd hand in two gentlemen of Ronan and, <laughs> and be, like, be like what the fuck is what this what the hell come on <laughs> dude <laughs> don't phone it in next time <laughs> what's a phone a- <laughs> <laughs> and then that's how <laughs> our com- podcast becomes a comedy um yeah once more into the breach dear friends once more I'll close the wall up with our English dead uh, and while we're on the topic uh, the tor- terrible topic the horrible uh, the terrible, horrible, terrible no good topic, very bad topic yes of rape <laughs> uh, we we have discussed it already it, it, did, it does make appearances in in previous uh, Shakespeare works up to this point yeah. very first one that we ever yeah. did Two Gentlemen of Verona featured very prominently uh, an attempted rape yeah. um, and it was kind of jarring even at that because I was like whoa Shakespeare doesn't usually deal with this but then yeah no he kind of no, does <laughs> uh, especially and Titus Andronicus featured yeah. uh, you know very similar to mm-hmm. Lucrece you know another woman who they both reference the story of Philomel yeah. Philomela um, in both Lucrece and in Titus Andronicus. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it, yeah, rape victims are definitely a 
a consistent element in Shakespeare's mm-hmm. story. There's a few other plays where uh, it's mentioned that someone was raped or that this person, this man, had raped somebody at right. some point. Um, I can't remember if... Yeah, I don't remember the exact place, but I know it does happen a couple other times. So it's, it is interesting that this is a recurring theme. I think it's, it's you know, in some respects, really borrows a lot from classical mythology where, you know, this stuff was talked about kind of, mm-hmm. you know, you think of Zeus. And, you know, <laughs> didn't have sex without raping yeah, somebody. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, so like there there is... There is it is a kind of a recurring theme, but uh, it, I think it's just worth mentioning that this this is easily the the clearest. I mean, obviously it's in the title, uh, but this is the most head-on and direct and uh, well put together depiction of rape in in Shakespeare, in my opinion. And and it does set up some very interesting ideas that that aren't dealt with at all in Verona mm-hmm. or in Two Gentlemen of Verona, obviously. Um, sort of dealt with in Titus Andronicus, but in a different way. It's more about the vengeance angle. Yes. Um, so, you know, you get shades of that at the end of, of Lucrece when her father and Colatine are arguing over her body. It reminded me very much of Titus and her uncle talking about, you talking know, about her, <laughs> about her while she's standing right there, yeah. bleeding, unable to talk. Yeah. You know, it's um, it just in this case, she's dead already. Lucrece is laying at their feet dead from self-slaughter as they mentioned in the play or in the poem so um yeah this one deals with with far more clearly the um the victim's point of view and Mm -hmm. the the aftermath the fallout um in a very interesting way and uh yeah it's uh it's a good one There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in our philosophy. So, in consideration of the fact that uh, this podcast episode dealt with quite uh, heavy and weighty topics, um, we didn't feel it was right to decide on a debate topic to bring levity to the end of our episode. Um, We did give you a a little taste of our bickering earlier on when we were talking about Adonis, so Mm -hmm. hopefully that will suffice. Um, But it just didn't feel right to to try and find a debate topic um, in a about a poem or a set of poems that are um, that deal with such disturbing and, and dark s- and still relevant and still very relevant subject, subject matter. matter yeah. So uh, we're going to end it here. Um, we hope you've enjoyed our podcast episode today about the the narrative poems. Um, what's next on our on our list? The next play will be Love's Labor's Lost. Oh, right. Yes. So we will uh, bring that to you in two weeks. Um, Which is a fun one. There's, there's, you know, men swearing off love and sex and yeah, romance. That's right. And it's I all very, the plot so quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's cool. I think we've seen this one performed as like a mod 60s romp. Yeah. Which is very fun. So so expect more bickering and fun, lighthearted <laughs> discussion when we, when we cover Love's Labor's Lost. You can find all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast fix. If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at the Bixpod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash thebixpod, or by email at thebixpod at gmail.com.
That's our cue to exit.